0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, we are wrapping up uh, this series that we've just called Shouts and Whispers, and I've saved this one for last on purpose because this is probably the biggest shout that we find in the New Testament as we've gone through this shouts and whispers thing what we're looking at are the different spots where we see the Old Testament pointing us towards Jesus we see Jesus revealed and Jesus prophesied and talked about in The Old Testament and we keep coming back to this concept that to know God better and to trust him more. We need to see that Jesus has been a part of the God man story all along. It really is important that we see that he's been involved in this and involved in the story of humanity. Not just God, but that Jesus is woven into the fabric of that so tightly so let's go ahead and let's look at this passage of Scripture again For as we wrap this up. This is uh, um, the day of resurrection. We've got a couple of Jesus' followers who things did not go the way they thought they should go. They're pretty disappointed. They're pretty discouraged. They're walking back home, and they have left Jerusalem, the center of all the attention. Jesus had just risen from the grave, and they've already decided to go home. We're already out of here. And they're walking along, and then this person joins them, and they don't realize it's Jesus. And they are, this is the last little thing they tell Jesus in verse 24. It says, and Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He begins to just go through and and open up the scriptures and reveal to them passages of scripture they already knew, they were already familiar with. Jesus is just pulling it up. He's the word made flesh. These guys had hidden it in their heart. They knew it. Back in the day, you didn't carry scrolls under your arms. These these Hebrew grew up and they had the the uh, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. That was part of being a good little Hebrew, a good little Jew. As you grew up, memorizing it, they had it understood. So Jesus just starts pulling these stuff up, and they're talking about it and quoting these different things, and Jesus is explaining how these things point to himself and that piece of discovery had to be amazing all by itself now when i got to to meet cutie i got to meet my wife and we we just met and didn't know one another and and then of course then we you know she grew up in in midland and i grew up in odessa and y'all won't hold either one of those against us so we live here now and um Anyways, but we graduated from high school the same year. You know, I spent some time in Midland. She spent some time in Odessa. And so what was cool when we were first beginning to get to know one another and in our, in our courtship time that we would talk about places where maybe we were at the same place at the same time. Anybody else have a couple do that? We talk about where your paths possibly crossed, where you might would have been in the same place at the same time and didn't even know it and begin to do that. It's a, it's a cool thing that you go back and you go, oh my goodness, you might have been there. You might have been there. Oh, that was so cool. And, and man, what if we'd have met then? What if, what if that would have happened then? And, and then you begin to look back and it begins to change the way you see things whenever you recognize what's at work. I hope that as you begin to, to read through the Bible. And I hope that in your own personal study time, as you begin to read through the Old Testament, you begin to see them. I hope you go on a Jesus treasure hunt. I hope this inspires you because this is not just, we didn't hit all of them. Jesus is laced all through there. And I dare you to read the Bible going, Lord, show me Jesus in the Old Testament because he is all through there. There are all sorts of things pointing us to Jesus, little little whispers, little shouts, little things coming out that show us who he is and what he was going to be about. But today we're going to look at that loudest shout. And because the truth is is that straight up 100% the heart of Jesus's ministry had already been foretold. This was not a secret This was not held back. What Jesus was going to come and do, what the Messiah was going to come and do, was no surprise at all. And I love it when we catch up here with Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus is just stepping into his ministry. Things are just getting going. And one of the first things he does, one of the first things he does publicly, is what he did with these guys on the road to Emmaus. He goes to the scriptures. He goes to the law and the prophets. He goes to what the the different people had spoken that point to him. And I love, there's a handful of drop the mic moments in Jesus' ministry. Where he just says something and it's like, boom. Deal with it. And this is one of them. And I love it. Let's go ahead and start in verse 16. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Pause. He goes back to Nazareth. He goes to his hometown where the people saw little toddler Jesus wandering around with his daddy Joseph. Where they saw little 10-year-old Jesus. Where they do the stories of 12-year-old Jesus that got hung back on the trip to the temple for worship and got lost in the crowd. And everybody had to go back and search for Jesus. And they had the big search party. And there Jesus is is sitting there with all the teachers and the law and blowing their minds with the fact that he understood things so well. Now, like, how does this little kid, how does this 12-year-old kid understand these things? These are the people that knew these stories. And Jesus goes back to that moment. And goes back to that. He could have gone into any synagogue. But he goes back to his hometown synagogue to have this moment. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He, I love it that as he goes in, he doesn't just sit there and say, oh, give me that one. He goes in, and he knows what's going on, and he stands up. They had already been respecting him as a guy who's coming up, as a rabbi. They hand him the scroll. He opens it up, and unrolling it, he finds the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He stands up and he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to do all these different things. These wonderful, restorative, life-changing things. And then he sits down. And everyone just stares at him. They don't let him just stop there. And then he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In case you didn't get that I meant that this is what I'm about. Today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus stood up and took this whisper from the Old Testament and shouted it out to his hometown, the place where, as his ministry goes on, that he could not do any mighty miracles except heal some people. You know what? In our day and age in North America, we call healing a mighty miracle. We do. We call healing a mighty miracle. The Bible said that he couldn't do any mighty miracles except heal some people. Man, where's our expectation of what the anointing of Jesus gets done? Where's our expectation on that? We tend to take the, the thing that was the exception there when he couldn't do any mighty works and that we make that the big one. Man, I'm telling you, we've got the wrong view of our God. He is more, he's more big and powerful than we can understand. But I love it that as he starts his ministry, he starts it by grabbing this and putting it in everybody's face and in the face of the place where he grew up. He said, this is what I'm called to do. You are going to have the this group of people that's listening to him or the people are going to have the most hard time accepting it. They were the group that was going to be the most difficult, and that's where he shouted it the loudest. First off, Jesus, the message of Jesus was good news to the poor. Now, we can look at a bunch of different things because the, the, Jesus' prayer says that, and he tells, he's teaching the beatitudes of blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Well, obviously, that's something that needs to be addressed. And, and Jesus says that, that, that they're, going to be, they're going to be filled. They're going to be taken care of. But here, this is good news to the poor. Now, this isn't figurative poor. This is poor people. These are people that can't take care of their bills, take care of their needs. Their kids are too skinny and asking for a snack all the time. And mom is crying because she can't give it to them. Kind of poor people. And Jesus' message is good news to the the poor. This whisper comes out of Isaiah 61. And and we'll go right back to Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, let's think about this for a second as we begin to look at what Paul had to say about how this anointing gets fulfilled. The good news to the poor. Good news to the poor is the fact that all of a sudden their blight as being poor is about to change. Well, first off, you have to understand that poor people in that day and age were considered that you were poor because something you had done bad, sinful, that it was a punishment. So therefore, it was okay to look down on you if you were poor. It wasn't just snobbery. It was the way things should be. So it's sad these people are stuck in this place. That they're somehow poor because they're, they're cursed. And all of a sudden, it is this: the whole society has trapped a group of people in a place of want and need. Not just from day to day, but generation to generation. And Jesus came to to declare that it was good news because things were about to change. Culture was about to change. Standard of living was about to change. Opportunity was about to change in him. So many people think that Christianity has been oppressive. Jesus was on the forefront of social justice and civil liberty like nobody else in history. This message and who he is and what he did with his, with his followers was revolutionary. Now let's think about this. Jesus is the head of the church. We recognize that. And if Jesus is anointed for this to proclaim good news to the poor, well, shouldn't it see that the body would be on page with that? If the head is, then the body should be on page. That makes sense. So who's the body of Christ? Well, that's, that's you and I. Let's look at what Paul wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 2 verse 10 it says all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing i had been eager to do all along now so many times as theologians we like to get wrapped up in all the cool theological stuff paul has to say and he has some cool stuff he blows our minds with helping us understand the depth of what of the love of God and the grace of God and what that does and reaches but here look at Paul's daily life he said you know they wanted to make sure we cared about the poor and he said that's the very thing I'm eager to do I hate seeing need I hate seeing people in want I hate seeing lack and I do something about it every time I get a chance there, it is, into the, the Corinthian church, he writes, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Sounds pretty awesome. I, I, I don't want to be in a place of lack. I, I want to, to recognize that God's able to bless me abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that I need, abound in every good work. But look, at this next verse, it says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures from ever. And he's quoting Psalm 112 verse 9, quoting it verbatim. Here, what Paul is teaching the early Christ followers is that we should be people that go in, and when there is systemic injustice and brokenness, that we ought to go in and fix it. We ought to go in and change it. One of the, the heroes of our modern age on this front is a name we all recognize, a, name, a lady named Mother Teresa. I love the story of Mother Teresa because she came from a country who it was illegal to have a religion. She, it was illegal. It was an atheistic country by law. She comes to Christ, she recognizes who He is, she gives her life into a place of service. She sees this incredible need there in India, goes and gives her life for the rest of her life to feeding the, the most destitute, hopeless people. So there was a, an atheistic journalist that comes to her and following her around and watching her do her thing. She's a neat Person to write a story about, you can get people to click on that or or, or pay for that paper and, and read that story about Mother Teresa. And he didn't care about her, the fact that she was a devout Christ follower. He just cared about she was making a difference in this world. And as they're walking around and seeing this poverty that we in America can't wrap our mind around, this atheist looks at her and he says, "Mother Teresa, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful." But how can you believe in a God that loves and is good when you see this kind of need and hurt and want on a daily basis? And that little lady shook her finger at that journalist and she said, don't you dare blame this kind of poverty on my God. She said, this is not his fault that his children are not willing to share and Act in response to his love. It is not. He's called them to. They've just not done it. That kind of poverty in the world is not a blight on God. It can't be an indictment on us who sit back and do nothing. Who enjoy the goodness of God and forget that Jesus was anointed to preach that, the good news to the poor. So many times we can just say the Spirit of the Lord is of Jesus to preach the good news. The gospel, the whole gospel is called good news. And it's awesome. But what Jesus said here is the Spirit of the Lord was on him to preach good news to the poor. I love that James writes there in James chapter 2, verse 3. He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Those mindsets had crept into the early church. And they're not talking about just just sitting there and and this taking place at someone's home. They're saying this takes place at church. Church. That the people that have the nice clothes and drive the nice cars and everybody caters to them. And the people who took everything that they had left in their wallet to catch a bus and make it to church. That you give them the sorry seat? Are you kidding me? Can you not see from heaven's perspective? That what their bank account says doesn't determine their value in the kingdom? Please, let's break this off of us. And all of these things. And Jesus came to reset the brokenness that humanity and all of our judging and all of our stereotypes and all those things put put us at war against one another. We have more talk about the, the, the difference in our culture right now against more and more about the disparity between the rich and the poor. And I think if the church would rise up and begin to let the anointing of Jesus show up, I think we'd begin to ease some of that so much. All of a sudden, we begin to see the people of God at work because Jesus came to preach the good news to the poor. Jesus also came to bind up the brokenhearted. There in Isaiah 61, 1b, he says, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Man, I tell you What? There are a lot of hurting people. And if you're here this morning hurting and brokenhearted, God is thankful you're here. You don't have to fake a smile here. I hope coming here gives you a smile. I hope spending time with us encourages you and makes one naturally grow up out of your soul. But you don't have to paint one on to grab that glass door and walk in here. Because we understand that sometimes, man, I tell you what, the, 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 the broken and the hurting, they need a place to be honest about what's happening in their life, to be honest about what's going on, and to be nurtured and loved on and grown. And, and Jesus was anointed, anointed to help those, to bind up the brokenhearted. There again, back in, back in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be. Lean into him. Your place of brokenness, your comfort lies in him. He's anointed to give it to you. He is anointed your despair. He's anointed to take it away. Second Corinthians 1. We're going to look in verse 3. Praise be to the Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Again, how beautiful is this? It's the body of Christ. Jesus is anointed for this and it shows up in the body of Christ. As we let God comfort us in all our troubles, he then uses us to comfort others in those same things. What a beautiful, amazing thing. When Jesus starts his ministry, he wanted it marked that nobody misses why I'm here. I'm anointed for this. Jesus came to proclaim freedom and release. Isaiah 61 again. says to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. There in 2 Corinthians it says now the, the, <clears throat> the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom there is freedom anybody else feel just a little bit better after a good time in worship am i the only one you know why because as we begin to borrow some words that somebody else wrote okay then it takes the, the, little, the little wheel that's going on in our heads where we get wrapped up in our own thoughts and our own discouragements and our own things and we begin to borrow someone else's thoughts about God. And we begin to borrow some author and they wrote something down. And then we take a melody, something that resonates with us, something we enjoy connecting with, and we then begin to pour that into God. And we begin to pour that out. And we take and we shift our thought patterns and we shift what we're focusing on. We begin to focus on the goodness of God. And the Emmanuel, the presence that's been with us all along, all of a sudden we lean over and begin to acknowledge that he's really there. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do you know you can do that in your car? You don't have to wait till Sunday morning. You can do that in your home. I love it. One of our volunteers this morning brought his own little music back there in the coffee area. And he had some worship happening this morning. I went up to ask him a question and talk. And he had to go turn his music down. Answer my question. I walk away. Turn his music (laughs) up. Do you know your coffee was worshipped over this morning? Person putting it in there was just worshipping Jesus. Does that sound weird to you? You ought to try it if it sounds weird. If it's something you connect with on a regular basis, you're like, no, I get it. That's how I stay full in the week. I lean into those things. It changes everything. Galatians chapter 5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. And if you want to sum up Galatians Galatians is Paul's writing to tell people don't go back into a place of trying to earn your relationship with God. That's the yoke of slavery he is talking about. He's trying to live up to some list of, of things that says you do this and this makes you right with God. He says don't go back to that. Jesus is the one who, who made you free. Live in that place. And then Ephesians 3 says in him and through faith in him. We, have a, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I hope this morning you came ready to just connect with God. But if there was a little place where you're like, man, I kind of lost it with my spouse this week and I'm feeling a little guilty, or this happened and I'm feeling a little guilty, please, just put that aside. Jesus died so that mess wouldn't stand in between you and God anymore. So please don't invite it in. Jesus dealt with it so it wouldn't be there. But if you invite it in, it's there. So don't invite it in. Don't let it be there. There should be nothing in between you and your relationship with God. Jesus cleared the table. It's all good. Just enjoy it and boldly approach him with freedom and confidence. And then the last thing, I know I'm kind of having a, Blow through these this morning. But we had a lot of good stuff happening at church today. <clears throat> but Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of his favor. That he's for us. That his heart is bent towards our good. Please get that. It's not that man, you're which side of God do you want? You want his right hand to favor or his left hand to wrath. You better watch what you do during the week. No. God does have both hands up, but it ain't one to bless you and one to smack you. It's both to hug you. That's why He's got them both up. That's why He's going at you like that. God is for you. That is who, what He has bent. Isaiah 61:2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Humanity was confused. About God's attitude towards humanity. And Jesus said, I've come and I'm anointed so that you can hear this. God favors you. He favors you. He's seeking you out. He's bent towards you. 2 Corinthians 6 says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain yet again. Yet again, we see the body of Christ connected with the anointing on the, head of the, uh, on the head of the church. On Jesus. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. When is it? Now. It's now. Whenever your now is, it's now. Lean into him. (laughs) Please hear this. Please hear this. The ministry of Jesus changes everything. It changes culture. It changes the way we connect with God. It changes the fact that we don't have to live with the weight of the disappointments and the hurts in our lives. We don't have to be captive to anything. He sets us free. It changes everything. And not just the New Testament points us to that. The Old Testament points us to it as well. See, when we see everywhere that Jesus is revealed... We can begin to see Jesus revealed everywhere. I hope that in your time with him during the week, you're aware that God is for you and with you. I hope that you're aware of it. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.